Brought to you by the all-new 2014 Toyota Corolla. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. That's Charles W. Chuck Chuckers Bryant. This is Stuff You Should Know. You can just call us Mav and Goose for this one. No, you can't. Okay. <laughs> okay, it depends. Who's Mav and who's Goose? Well, the, the, the re, you know, I said that's very appropriate for the show. Why? Well, because Goose died because his ejection seat malfunctioned. I know. He hit his head on the canopy. I know, I remember. Broke his neck. It was because he'd angered God earlier that day. I guess so. So I'll be Goose. Are you planning on dying? I'm just planning on you feeling guilt for the rest of your life. <laughs> you caused the spin by being a guns blazing maverick. That is true, but you I would dangerous. be like, I didn't design the ejection seat. That's the guy who should feel guilty for the rest of his life. I'm going to go get a taco. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm going to go ride my motorcycle around Miramar. It's funny, when I saw Top Gun, and I may have talked about this before, I remember thinking at the time, like, people, they don't die in training exercises like that. That's so Hollywooded up. As a matter of fact, that happened very, well, like, two years ago. Dude, it happens all the time. You never hear about it. Yeah, there's a it guy. It doesn't make the papers. Uh, my <laughs> papers? It doesn't. It's sad that it doesn't, but, uh, yeah, like, it it happens. Yeah. Our, our military died during training, and it's it's awful. Mm-hmm. My brother-in-law is a helicopter pilot, as you know. Yes. And he's lost several friends through the years. In training? Yeah. Is it in crashes or from ejection seats? Crashes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a guy in 2011, uh, you know the Blue Angels? The what? There's also <laughs> the Red Arrows. Yeah, I know the Blue Angels. Okay, well, the Red Arrows um, are a another formation flying team. Uh-huh. Uh, like, just basically some really great pilots. Sure. And one of them was killed... When his ejection seat went off while his plane was motionless, it, 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 the ejection seat just accidentally went off. That's a zero-zero ejection. Isn't that what that's called? Yes, but... That means you're on the ground and you're not flying at all. Right. Um, but I think the problem is the plane didn't realize, or the ejection, um, the sequencer didn't realize that it was a zero-zero ejection because the parachute never deployed. So he died when he fell back down to earth. From a couple hundred feet, I would guess. Yeah, well, uh, well, this will all make sense in a second. Um, you know what? I think as a primer, before, if you're at home listening, uh, you can go to the YouTube site and look up, uh, look up like ejection seat. And there's one like slow motion on the ground, zero zero ejection from film from different angles that really shows how it all works. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and um, you really get a sense of like, boy, they do go up a couple hundred feet. Yeah, and quick too. Very quick. Um, so this uh, this is not even my intro. I've got an intro. Okay. Chuck. Yeah. There is a guy in World War II who is a tail gunner on a B seventeen flying fortress, and this man's name was Alan McGee. He was a staff sergeant, and if you were a tail gunner on the B seventeen, you were basically cramped into this little gun turret yeah with your knees up to your chest your head's poking out in a little clear canopy shell yes yeah and you had no room whatsoever to wear a parachute you had to keep it in the cockpit with everybody else well alan mcgee is uh on this b-17 called the snap crackle pop Mm -hmm. and they're flying uh on a mission 
over um, France, Saint-Nazaire, which was also known as Flak City because of the anti-aircraft guns down on the ground. Right. And sure enough, the snap, crackle, pop, took some flak, lost a wing, had a couple of holes in it, and these holes in turn put holes into McGee's parachute. So uh-huh. <clears throat> he needs to bail out. He finds a hole that's been blown into the side of the the um, snap, crackle, pop, and jumps out at 20,000 feet. With a parachute with holes in it? With no parachute oh, whatsoever. Because no he was like, why bother? He just knew he needed to get out of the plane yeah. quick. And he later said that he thought he had a parachute. Later said? Yes. He Spoiler. 22,000 feet, more than four miles to the ground, goes right through the skylight in the St. Nazaire tra- train station uh-huh. and lands and lives. He had a- um, How does that happen? He had. I'll tell you in a second. He had a broken right leg, broken right ankle- Nearly severed right arm. Yeah. 28 shrapnel wounds from the shards of glass, because uh-huh. he fell right through plate glass. Yeah. From, again, 22,000 feet, four miles above the ground. Yeah. And he lived to tell about it. A German doctor apparently took very good care of him, and he later on said, you know, publicly thanked the guy, even though he was a Nazi doctor. Sure. Um, for saving his life. And so I'm reading about this, and this is just astounding i'm looking into it more and more and more yeah and there's no trick it's just physics um this uh physicist dr seth eisenberg no he's not a physicist he's a trauma specialist he said on uh popular mechanics that there's really no magic here that he was going mcgee was going as fast as he would have been had he jumped off of something like a 12-story building right once you reach terminal velocity it's all the same whether it's four miles or whether it's 120 feet. Right. Um, it's still pretty spectacular that he fell four miles through the roof of a building and survived. Wow. The point of all this is... So the point was, though, that he could have fallen off a 12-story building through the plate glass and everyone would have been like, wow, that's pretty awesome, but not miraculous. Yeah, compared to four miles, it's nothing. Okay, I gotcha. It'd still be pretty miraculous that he survived. You, sh- you should die. Yeah. You know? 12-story building? He's pretty banged up. Yeah. So the point is, him just jumping out of the the hole in the side of the snap, crackle, pop was not that different from how you would get out of a plane in World War II. You just kind of opened up the the canopy and jumped out. Yeah. And then, you know, opened your parachute at the appropriate height, right? Right. Or altitude. When That's fine with planes, propeller planes. But once jets were introduced... You can't do that. Yeah. Because they're going so much faster than a propeller plane does. You can't just jump out. Speed of sound, dude. So, around the time the jet age began, a uh, company named Martin Baxter, a British aviation company, started really looking into the idea of the ejection seat. Yeah. And we have that today, thanks in large part to them. Hats off. Yeah. Real men of genius. Uh, so an ejection seat, if you don't know, just to put it very simply, is a seat that is ejected from the aircraft. Yes. It can be a jet. It can be a helicopter. Um, and it's a very much a last second, well, maybe not last second, but it's a last ditch effort to save yourself when you know that that aircraft is going down. Right. Yeah. It's the, that's your last resort. You don't yep. do that frivolously because number no. one. 
Airplanes are expensive. Yeah. Yeah. They're also very dangerous when they crash land. Yeah. And you really, I think it's probably bad form to scuttle your plane when you still have control of it. Yeah, I think so. Like, hey, I wonder what this thing does. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the article points out, and it's once you really read this thing, it's really true. It's one of the most complex parts of an aircraft. Could be thousands of parts in some of these. And the object is to get the pilot out and then disattach from that seat without hitting any part of the aircraft. Mm-hmm. So like up and out and away, out of harm's way, at which point um, you become a parachuter. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. You want to get the pilot into the position to just parachute down to the ground. And it all happens in under four seconds. And about two to three of those seconds is the actual parachute aspect. Like the ejection part <laughs> is all in about a second, a second and a half. Yes. It's pretty, pretty amazing. It is. And we're going to tell you how it works. So, so the process of it is fairly simple. The The procedure, right, it's like just get the pilot out of the plane. Yeah. Above it. Out of the way of the plane so it can and, go crash. Yeah, and let the parachute happen. That's right. Do its thing, right? Mm-hmm. But when you look at the, the mechanisms involved in this, it's extremely detailed, especially since 1987 when you had the first microprocessor yeah. in charge of ejection seats. It's really neat. Yes. So let's talk about ejection seats. Let's talk about the basics. You've got, first of all, the seat. Yes, the seat is connected. Uh, it's in the cockpit, obviously, and it's attached to rails um, by by way of some rollers. So you might think, like, the seat's just, like, bolted to the floor. It's not. It's no. on rollers on these rails because those rails and rollers are going to do the initial guidance of the chair at the proper angle right. out of the aircraft. Right. You can't just go up. You can't just go forward. You can't just go back, right? Nope. And when you go up those rails, you actually have to go at a certain amount of speed, and that speed has to be slightly more than the aircraft is going, or else you're not going to clear the cockpit. Yeah. So to do that, you have what's called the catapult, which is usually a charge. Yeah, that's what gets you going up the rails and initially out. Um, then there will be a secondary rocket that that shoots you up another couple hundred feet so you can clear the tail of the plane and everything. Um, and it does it quick, too. Yeah, it does it really quick. And this is all, this whole system is called an AES, an assisted egress system. Egress meaning exit or a way out. Um, little on the nose, but I get it. Yeah, it's military. <laughs> um, and uh, the canopy is, you know, if you've ever seen like a fighter jet, they've got the clear clear canopy above them. Yeah, where they like wave and like give the thumbs up at sign the and the black power sign and all that stuff. Yeah, where they shoot a bird at the Russian. Yes. As in Top Gun. Remember, they flew right on, uh, yeah. upside down right above them. That seemed almost incredible. <laughs> Very incredible. Yeah. And probably not real. Well, that's what I mean. Tony Scott, RIP. Um, so you got the canopy and the problem with the canopy is it, it shouldn't be there when you're trying to eject. Yeah, or else you end up like goose. It's right. So part of the assisted egress system is the canopy actually uh, blowing and getting the heck out of the way. If you don't have a canopy, you might have a, an escape hatch built into the roof. And um, you do all this by pulling a lever either between your legs or by your side or in the case of Top Gun. I looked at the clip today. It's two, uh, two loops behind their head that they pulled. Or sometimes you might pull a face curtain down in front of your face, which yeah. serves two purposes. It gets the whole system moving and protects your face. And it's not like a, a veil. No. 
It's like uh, it's sturdy. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little curtain. Protecting I think you. of like you know what I think of when I think of curtain and planes. I think of like what they use to separate first class from <laughs> from coach. We don't want this debris to hit you. So here's this black lacy right, exactly. veil. He's like, I don't, I don't want to see having to bail out. So those are some of the ways. You know, there's all different kinds of systems, but that's generally how it works. Okay, so we got the general part. Before we go any further, let's do a uh, a message break and let's do that. Yeah, this is about to get really good though. Yeah. Okay, so them's the basics. We were, we're talking about the basics. Yeah. Now let's get into the specifics. nuts and bolts of this, as it were. Yeah, and bolts will come into play, actually. Oh, yeah, specifics. Um, so let's talk about the seat. You've got your bucket, which is where you sit. Um, it also, the seat comes with survival equipment, which is kind of nice. Yeah, I looked it up. Some survival packs have, like, oxygen so if you are bailing out and you're not attached to oxygen at a high altitude, you're going to need it. Oh, yeah. Um, they have rifles in them, which is just cool. Um, blankets. What I don't get is the seat ejects from the person. So is the safety pack? This stays attached. Okay. So you're still in a sitting position with this thing attached to you. Okay. Or it's attached to your back. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I was confused by that, too. Well, I'm glad you took the time. <clears throat> Um, we covered the canopy. The catapult is obviously what initiates it, and it's operated with, like you said, a ballistic cartridge. Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of explosions going you're on. You're riding a bullet right then. Yeah, pretty much. You when you're your, going uh, up the catapult, up the rails. You got your drogue parachute, which is a small parachute, five to two to five feet in diameter, that it initially pops out to uh, sort of balance you and make sure you're not just flying all over the place and slow you down a little bit. Right, because, I mean, if you're going at even a slight angle... Yeah, at the speed of sound, possibly. Yes, you um, need to slow down kind of quick. Yeah. And the drogue parachute is just that little one, like... uh, uh, Like the the drags... Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And sometimes, you know how they'll have like a small one and then a big one? Uh They have that, too, on ejection seats as well. And then the drogue parachute also very commonly... um, will trip the larger parachute, too, after a certain speed is reached. That's right. Um, what else, man? Uh, you've got your environmental sensor, which we'll get into how all this works. Um, but that is uh, a device that tracks airspeed and altitude. Um, it doesn't just shoot you up and say, I hope it's, hope it's okay up there. Right, exactly. And they, it also, depending on um, the readings it gets for your airspeed and altitude, it'll it'll trip like a certain type of sequence. Right. So like if you're at a very high altitude, there'll be a certain sequence. If you're at a low altitude but going a very fast speed, there'll be a certain sequence and so on. And there's a car called modes of yeah. ejection. Well, we might as well go ahead and cover that. It's um, it's something called, uh, and I had to look this up. It was named for physicist Henri Pitot, but um, everyone calls them... Uh, Pitot or Pitot tubes. Yes. When it really should be Pitot tubes. Sure. Because he was French. But these are, uh, uh, when the, when the sequence begin, it travels up the rails and exposes these tubes and they measure air pressure and the differences in pressure to determine like how fast you're going. Right. And like which of these modes to enact that we're right. talking about. So that that's the that's part of the environmental sensor, and it sends that information to the recovery sequencer, which is basically the chip that controls the process. That's right. Um, so what are the three modes? Well, there's low altitude, low speed, 
which is less than 250 knots at less than 15,000 feet. No need for a drug parachute in this case. You barely even need an ejection seat at that point, you know? Um, there's mode two, which is low altitude, high speed for when you're like, you know, Maverick or something like that, just going really fast, but low. Yeah. Um, and then there's high altitude, any speed. Right. (laughs) Known as the scariest mode. Right. And so the, the modes are all based on, you'll notice two things, altitude and, um, speed, velocity. Yeah. Right. Um, and you put these things together and you create a graph and inside the graph inside the the um arc that's formed yeah that's called the envelope and anything inside the envelope is um safety okay. like it's been proven it's tested that if you follow this certain sense of uh, certain sequence of events yeah for this mode within this altitude and this airspeed you're going to most likely be fine. That's right. If you go outside of that, you are what's known as pushing the envelope. Is that where that came from? Yes. That's awesome. It is. I thought that was when you like were super cool during negotiations and you would just write down what you wanted and push the envelope across the table. <laughs> That's pushing your luck. Oh, okay. Wow. I love that. You know me and word origins. Yeah, I thought you'd like that one. I saw it and I was like, squee! <laughs> Chuck's going to love it. So let's back up a bit and, and uh, start with, with the bailout. Your plane's not doing well. You want to eject. <laughs> Your plane's not doing well. Your plane is sick. Uh, you want to eject, and you pull the ejection handle. That sets off what we already talked about, that first explosion mm-hmm. to uh, catapult you up the rails and into the air. And then there is an underseat rocket motor that actually propels you even further. And when you watch this thing in slow motion, it's <clears throat> you know serious rocket propelled action going on mm-hmm. under your butt. Yeah. And sometimes it's two stage like the catapult and then the rocket, but it's all in the same source. Right. But yeah, it's basically sh- shooting you so you go off on a bullet and then a rocket. Yeah. That's what happens when you're ejecting and like you said within the first half to one and a half seconds. Yeah, that's when all this happens and the canopy obviously has been jettisoned at this point. And that's a really cool thing too. Like these things are have to function as canopy, so they're bolted in there. Right. And the way they're they're ejected is the bolts are blown by little tiny explosive charges. Right. That's called lifting the canopy. Um, the bolts will blow and the canopy will start to fly off. But then there's another charge, another explosion toward the front yeah. that just shoots it off in another direction away from you as you're ejecting. All oh, this is just so cool, man, how fast it happens right. and how complicated it all is. Yeah, because think about that. Like the computer sequencer still needs to know what mode to follow. So, like when that canopy's starting to blow, it's taking the data readings and deciding. Yeah, all, all this is going on in like a second, a tenth of a second. Even. Yeah. Um. So lifting the canopy is one way. You can still become injured. You can still run into the canopy, um, if just from blowing the bolts. So there's another mode, um, or another means of getting rid of the canopy, and that's just shattering it. Yeah, that's when it basically explodes. And, uh, it's like you got chicken wire, but the chicken wire is explosive. Yeah, yeah. So it just, psh, t- just evaporates. It. Yeah. Well, it doesn't evaporate. The slipstream just makes it go bye bye really quickly. Yeah. Um, so for all intents and purposes, <laughs> it evaporates. Yeah. Uh, and then we also mentioned earlier if there is no canopy, there will be an explosive hatch that basically does the same thing. That seems the least safe to me. 
Why? Because you can't see through it? An explosive hatch makes me think of like some really heavy, thick steel that, yes, you can't see through. Yeah. And that is just really a hole in another bit of heavy, thick steel that you might bump into on your way out. Like like an escape hatch from a submarine. That's what I think of when I think <laughs> of a hatch like that. Not on a plane. Yeah. You know? Give me a, a, um, a, a shattering canopy. That's what you want. Oh, yeah. You want it to dissolve above your head. Evaporate. <laughs> Evaporate. All right, so then uh, once you're out from the rails, uh, that secondary the rocket's going to take you, depends on your weight, 100 to 200 feet up to, safe, to safely clear you. And um, I wish we had more recent stats than this. But we have one from 1998 that said they had a 90% success rate over I, I saw that. 463 ejections. I saw that. That's a kind of standard for – I saw still, a study from, like I think, 2006 or something like that, and they found about 89.4. And it, the bad news is the other 10% means you've, you've probably died. Yeah. You know. So it's either success or you die. Yes. I think that's pretty much the – I think saving your life – through the correct success. series is successful. Okay. Like if you're injured or whatever, I think they still generally count that as success. Gotcha. Um, so where are we, man? So we're at the Drogue parachute. The Drogue gun oh, yeah. fires a metal slug, and it pulls out this little Drogue parachute. And then, like we said, then there's the secondary chute that I think the Drogue enacts that, right? Yeah. The secondary, like the main chute. Yes. Um, so you get the, the main chute out. Before this happens, though, think about this. When you are shot out mm-hmm. on a bullet and then on a rocket, and you're going up to, I don't know, Mach 2, Mach 3. Mach 1 is 750 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, and that's speed of sound, like supersonic travel. Yeah. Um, and we have planes that can go a lot faster than that. When you exit the plane like that... Um, it's very easy for your seat to start to tumble and move around and spin. Yeah, or your limbs, let's say. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. Just the seat itself, if everything's going according to the plan, right. plan can still tumble and, and this, the wind resistance it meets can just push it around at all sorts of weird angles. So there's something called a uh, vernier rocket, right? Yeah. And it's, it is a rocket that just kind of fires like, um, remember on Apollo 13 when they were, um, like shooting off the little booster rockets, like on each side to, the left, to like to the right. correct the yaw and all that. Yeah, and pitch. That's what this rocket does, um, or these rockets, I should say. It it stabilizes the seat and keeps it from spinning and tumbling and makes it stay up and down. Yeah, it's got Normally. a gyroscope. Exactly, it's how it knows what it's doing, just like your uh, smartphone. Oh yeah, is that what the compass thing is? Yeah, really. Well, I mean, yeah, plus when you tilt it, it knows to go sideways. And Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that, or I hope that ejection seats have a little more advanced <laughs> systems. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, gyroscope. Yeah, okay. I never thought about that. Uh, or maybe not a gyroscope, but something that functions in that way. Right. People are like, it's not a gyroscope. We'll find out. Yeah, we sure will. Many times over. Okay, so, Chuck, let's talk about the physics of all this. Well, first, got to cover the seat man separator motor oh yeah okay and that's actually once you're in the air you don't you're, you don't want you can't land in the seat they wanted to get you out of the seat right and that's accomplished by the seat man motor separator yeah this motor <laughs> basically goes and uh, detaches the seat from you and you're you've got your parachute on yeah you've got your survival pack still but the seat just kind of falls away to earth 
and you just um, slowly parachute down and land. And if you're Captain Scott O'Grady, yeah, then you you spend the next five days evading Serbs. That's right. Successfully. Successfully. So physics, my favorite topic. I know you love <laughs> physics, man. Uh, Newton's second law of motion comes into play here, obviously, because um, force and acceleration of the crew member are really, you know, that's how you're going to live or die. Yeah, because when you exit a plane, you get smacked by the wind. That's right. I mean, you're going faster than the speed of sound. And while you're normally operating the plane, the plane's taking it on the chin for you. Yeah. You're not feeling this force of gravity nearly as much no. as you are when you're no longer surrounded by the plane and you're just exposed up there in the atmosphere. That's right. So Newton's second law of motion states the acceleration of an object depends on the force acting upon it and the mass of the object. Force equals mass times acceleration. In this case, the mass is the mass of the human pilot and the chair. Right. And uh, the... Uh, Force, uh, or no, acceleration is measured in G's, right? Yeah. So, uh, one G equals the, the amount of one, the, uh, the amount of the Earth's gravity. Yeah, like when we're just standing level, here, right? we're at one G right now. Right. And so let's say, um, let's say we're a 180 pound pilot. Uh, at sea level, we weigh 180 pounds. That's one G. Yeah. Um, when we're going two G's and so on, up to say 20 G's, I believe is what the, um, an ejection seat is like the best are developed for. Right. 20 Gs. At 20 Gs, 180 pounds feels like 3,600 pounds. Yeah. That's the force that you encounter when you eject. 3,600 pounds all of a sudden of force is being exerted on your body. Yeah, and keeping in mind that 1 G of acceleration is equal to 32 feet per second. Yes. And it all depends on how much we weigh. Like That's how you figure out the mass, you and the chair. That's the big one. Also, the um, the chair needs to know how fast to go because it has to go slightly faster than the plane, like I said, so it can clear it. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. But when so when you eject and you suddenly encounter twenty Gs, which is the upper limits of human, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Tolerance. Yeah, tolerance. Um, a lot of really bad things can happen to you. That's right. And we know this thanks to our buddy, Colonel Stepp. Yeah. Remember he used to have red outs from the rocket sled? And <laughs> yeah. man, he had some crazy stuff happen to him. So what's the formula? Um, speed equals acceleration times time plus initial speed. Or VF equals AT plus VI. Yes. So think about this. Okay. What we've just said is that... Um, we understand the force, which mm-hmm. is when you go up, you are suddenly exposed to that lateral force. Yeah. Um, Getting hit in the face with that wind. Yes. Um, and you're also being pushed out and upward. So I think you said that in some cases, within the first second and a half, you are up 200 feet. Yeah. So I think you said earlier something like you within a second... You are you go from sitting in the plane to being up about two hundred feet. Yeah. So that means you're traveling two hundred feet a second upward. Yes. So you're being pushed up like that. Yeah. While you're being exposed to speeds of upwards of seven hundred and fifty miles an hour, twenty G's of force. Yeah. 
Um, and all of this is happening to your poor little body. So a lot of really bad things can happen to it. Sure. Um, first of all, first and foremost, I think the number one injury from ejections is spine compression. Oh, man. Because you're, you're being pushed upward at a, 200 feet a second. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of force exerted on your spinal column. So modern um, ejection seats have things like leg restraints. Oh, yeah, that's true. Back restraints. Yeah, head restraints. And then that face curtain restrains your head, and you are forced into a completely up-and-down sitting position so that your vertebra are stacked perfectly on top of one another. Yeah. Because any kind of slip or any kind of angle leads to a slip disc very easily. Um and there's a, a, a long-standing legend that I couldn't verify that in the U.S. Air Force, after two or three ejections, you're grounded for life. Oh, really? Because the spinal compressions have just basically used you up. Huh. I don't know. I, I didn't see that that was true anywhere, but it's an old legend. Well, at the very least, you're not a very good pilot. Right. So they're like, yeah, maybe we should ground them. Or you're like three-quarters your height that you were when you enlisted yeah, that's because true. of the spinal compressions, you know? You're too short now. So that's the number one, I believe, um, injury that comes from ejection. There's also something with the horrific name limb flail. So you're secured in your seat. Yeah. Your arms, your legs, your head. You're supposed to be totally immobile in that first couple of seconds, especially until your parachute opens and you slow down and everything. Yeah. If your arm gets loose, yeah. have you ever seen a dog with its head sticking out of a car window on a highway and it has real long floppy ears? Yeah, which is very dangerous. It's not something you should do to your dog. No, it's bad for your dog. You yeah. can develop cauliflower ears. It's a bad thing to do. Get things in their eyes, all sorts of things. So that's going like 30 to 60 miles an hour. Yeah. We're talking an arm, a human arm, mm-hmm. going more than 750 miles an hour. When it gets loose, what you have is called limb flail, and what you have are completely shattered bones, oh, yeah. dislocated shoulders. Um, it, that's a bad jam. Or just imagine going down the highway at like six, 65 miles an hour, roll down your window, and then quickly just stick your exactly, arm out. Exactly, yes. yes. And then multiply that times, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's another type of injury, limb flail. Um, there's wind blast. Yeah. Which, so they've, they've tested this on chimps, of course, and um, it turns out that you can get third-degree burns, severe third-degree burns, just from the wind. Oh, wow. At um, Mach 1.7, being exposed to that peak 1.7, Mach 1.7 for one second can give you severe third-degree burns. Wow. Uh, and then there's tumbling, which you might overlook. But think about this. Remember when... Um, Goose? No... The real math? Uh, no, the real life guys. Ice. No, <laughs> uh, the uh, the dude. Uh, oh man, O'Grady. No, the guy who jumped out of the <laughs> space capsule recently. Stap. No, <laughs> you know the guy. Yeah, Felix. Uh, Baumgartner. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe I forgot that. <laughs> um, the the he, when he jumped out, he started to tumble. Remember, he started going end over end. Yeah, it did not look good at first. No, and the reason that that is really, really bad is because you can build up centrifugal force of your uh, for your blood, uh-huh. and it pushes it outward to your extremities, meaning your heart doesn't have any blood to pump any longer. Wow. So you can die very quickly. I've seen between 200 and 400 rotations per minute proves fatal to humans. Man. How did that Baumgartner guy pull that off? I don't know. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. 
And hey, our own Discovery Channel covered that live, remember? Yeah, that was huge. It was very cool. That first shot, dude. I like, I can't look at that. Clip what, when enough. he just falls out of it? Yeah, his perspective shot when he <laughs> was just like, all right, I'm jumping out of something from space. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, really cool. I remember, um, you, me, and I were coming back from some trip or whatever, and we just happened to be in the airport when it, I remembered it was going on. I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, we should watch this, and ended up standing there watching like one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. I mean, that was just an amazing thing to see. Yeah, and I bet you he wants to top it. I'm sure he's like higher still. Yeah, and do you remember the guy who did that in like the like 1960 or the er, late 50s? Mm-mm. Oh, he did it like in this exposed weather balloon wearing like a high altitude, a halo mask and air supply and everything. That rings a bell. And you've seen footage of it. Did he live? Yes. But he ended up being like the whole program director for Felix Baumgartner's jump. Like, he tapped oh. him, because he's the only other guy who's done anything like that. Right. And this guy did it in, like, the late 50s, I think. So he was literally the only person he could say, what's it like, man? Exactly. He said it sucks, and it's awesome. Apparently, he had, like, a hole in his glove or something like that, that they had he told them back on the ground what was going on, they would have called off the mission. Baumgartner? No, the other guy. Oh, uh, really? And he just didn't tell them, because he, he wanted burns, to do it. I wonder? I don't know. Huh. So, that's how Felix Baumgartner works. <laughs> All right, ejection seats, you got anything else? I don't have anything else. Yeah, that one was really cool, I thought. Yeah. Very complex thing going on, and very quickly, and watch that super slow-mo, and then it shows it in regular time. Mm-hmm. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Okay, so since we don't have anything else, um, we would advise you to go on to the How Stuff Works website and check out ejection seats. Type that into the search bar, and since I said search bar, it is time for listener mail. Yeah, I'm going to call this BFFs. Hey, guys, I've been listening for about six months <laughs> and uh, catching up on most of your old shows in that time. I was introduced to your podcast by my best since sixth grade friend, who's also a serious fan. I admit that it took me a few episodes to warm to your podcast, and now I feel a bit sheepish for ever doubting my friend's recommendation. Uh, not only is she one of the smartest people I've ever met, she is one of my oldest friends and knows me better than anyone. We have a long history of directing each other to many fabulous and geeky pursuits, Uh, But Stuff You Should Know may be the best of them all. And I have to say, stiff competition. You are up against Tolkien, The X-Files, Star Trek, epic rap battles of history, Dune. She says we talk all of those. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I see the rap battles, sure. Dune, maybe, but... Tolkien, X-Files, Star Trek? Although I don't like Star Trek. You don't like Star Trek? The movie, the TV show, none of it? Uh... (laughs) people are going to be shocked. I've never seen a single Star Trek episode in my life. I think I did when I was a kid. And I, I'll bet I would like it more as an adult now. And I saw The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, I saw that finally. Because that was good. And then I saw the uh, the first of the new ones, but not the one that just came out. This I saw the one that just came out. It's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I'll get into it. It's just not my universe. I'm a Star Wars guy. Not that you can't, can't be both. we, you know, know, get over this this obstacle, this <laughs> arbitrary and totally unnecessary wall between people who like Star Trek and Star Wars? Uh, I, it's, it's not that I think there should be a wall. I just never got into Star Trek. Okay. Well, as long as it's, you're not hating on Star Trek. Fans. No, no, of course not. A.K.A. Trekkies. All right. <laughs> This has been like kind of a geeky episode. Have you noticed? Sure. Back to the email from Catherine. A couple of months ago, 
my friend came to visit for a weekend and we were discussing the podcast. We both made uh, similar comments about why we enjoyed it so much. We felt like we had two really great and interesting friends with us whenever we wanted them or needed them. Uh, we both work long hours and jobs with significant pressure and sometimes uh, time with great and interesting friends is hard to come by. Your podcast can be a great band-aid in maintaining sanity when face-to-face interaction with real friends is impossible. So thanks for being such wonderful imaginary stand-in slash other appropriate adjective friends and keep up the good work explaining life, the universe, and everything. Best, Catherine with a K-R-Y-N. Well, thanks a lot. And she didn't say what her friend's name was, so I thought that was quite selfish. Sounds like a pretty bad friend. (laughs) So Catherine's friend, hats off to you as well. Thanks for the support. Yeah, thanks for listening, you guys. Um, if we have uh, brought you closer together with a friend, we want to hear about that. That's always very nice to hear about. Um, you can let us know by tweeting to us on Twitter. Our handle is SYSK Podcast. We're on Facebook.com at Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to dis- StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. That's close. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have our little abode do web uh, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the all-new 2014 Toyota Corolla. 